With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. All right, good evening everybody. Welcome to another episode of Hunting Camp Down Under. I'm actually sitting up at Tolmy, which is central Victoria. Fortunate enough to have been invited up to record a podcast and went out for a little bit of a hunt and shot of a long range rifle, which was different for me. Like It's an eye-opener. Um, managed to take a, a wild dog off some private property where the dogs are causing the owner a little bit of grief, so that was a bonus. So that was with the bow, which was pretty cool. Um, but the guest tonight, someone I've been looking forward to, to chatting with for, to it for a long time and tried to line it up a bit and probably my bad, I, I just kept putting it off just the timing was bad or something popped up or, you know, I got sick. So I finally just said, look, man, I'll just come up midweek and just we'll make it happen because it's going to be a good talk. He's only just come out of the bush and he's had a pretty su- successful hunt. So... Um, Tonight's guest is Jesse Polkinghorn. Welcome on board, Thanks, Jesse. Mate. Thanks for coming up. No worries. Thanks for thanks for having us. So, um, for those that don't know you, do you want to just take us through a bit about about yourself? What do you do? Where you're from? Yep. No where did worries. it all begin? Yeah. So, I'm um, I'm 27. I'm yeah, as, as Josh said and told me, which is well, Mansfield, Victoria. Um, yeah, I've been hunting from a young age and just live and breathe it, I guess. Um, mainly mainly bow hunting from a young age, um, then merging into the rifle. But, yeah, sort of doesn't really matter. It doesn't phase me too much these days. I love it all. Um, but, uh, yeah, as, as Josh said, um, just come out of the hills from a recent hunt uh, with some Kiwi fellas that have come over. And, yeah, we had a blast. Got a few stags on the deck and watched a couple of uh, New Zealanders shoot their first stags. Just a... A good buzz, so yeah, no, it, was, it was really good. Yeah, so starting off as a bow hunter, I assume that was a bit similar to my beginning in that it gives you independence from adults. So as a teenager, you could just grab your bow and hit the bush. Yeah, that's right. Like I said, from a young age, I'm like literally from sort of nine years old. Um, my my old man was he was always sort of into hunting and fishing and up the bush, but not as sort of hardcore as what I've gone down that path. But, yeah, I, I can remember back to young ages of, oh, I'm talking when I'm 11 and 12, getting dropped off with a with a backpack with enough to keep me going for the day and getting dropped off in the dark and, uh, yeah, just push on all day on my own and sort of taught, taught myself what I know and, yeah, just learnt the, learnt the hard way, I guess. And, yeah, Dad would drop me off and pick me up in the dark and, uh, yeah, big days in the bush on your own. But oh, it's... Looking back now, that's sort of some of the stuff that I remember the most, I guess, and really sort of, you know, cherish those moments. But, um, oh, yeah, you learn a lot over the years and, I don't know, I'm, I'm a bit different. I love, I love hunting on my own and that's sort of what I've taught myself doing. So, yeah, it's sort of what I enjoy, I guess, just getting out on my own and, and not, now that I know a bit too, like getting out and showing new blokes and just teaching them and you don't really know how much you know until you take someone that doesn't know, if that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. But, um, yeah. 
yeah, I, I can appreciate that. So you come from a bit of hunting pedigree, though. So you've got you've got uncles and that that are uh, pretty well known in the. Yeah, uncles or, you know, well, what I'd call an uncle, they're close enough to be yeah. family. Um, and they're the, I've always looked up to those older blokes as well. You know, you're always hearing those stories as a kid when you're sitting around and, yeah, you're just sort of sitting there and all listening to it, wishing and hoping one day you get to go through that same stuff and uh, before you know it, you are that that age and you're doing it, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So I must admit I'm a little bit jealous of where we're sitting. So you've got a beautiful property here, a nice house, and, and there's deer literally in your backyard. Yeah, no, it's a good spot of the world and partly chosen. I actually remember when we come here with a real estate agent, and I uh, quickly, well, I already knew in my heart I was going to buy it, but we walked around the property and uh, she goes, do you want to just have a good look around on your own? I said, yeah, I wouldn't mind actually. And walked down the back fence and we back into the bush and there was, there was three fellow deer sitting under a tree. And I was like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm sold. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that was the deal sealer. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, no, it's, uh, it's a good spot. And like I said, I'm only 10 minutes out of town and I run my own fabrication business just in town doing just, um, sheet metal work and building new trays and toolboxes and dog crates and that sort of things so that keeps me busy when I'm not not up the bush so yeah it's good yeah so I know Craig was talking at one stage about maybe coming and chatting to you about getting a tray put on his cruiser too so yeah it's just a bit tough because uh, being in the state and stuff and getting vehicles here and being able to leave it with us it's just a bit tricky so yeah I can understand why it sort of hasn't hasn't gone that way but anyway it's not to worry he'll get it sorted yeah and that place looks like the graveyard for tubs. <laughs> yeah, no, we get a lot of vehicles. We do about 200 a year, 200 U-trays a year. So we get a lot of um, vehicles direct from the dealerships that come there and we take the tubs off and sort of just plonk them aside. And yeah, and I'm getting a nice little collection there. So if anyone wants a tub that's listening, Ford, Ford Rangers, Hiluxes, anything, just uh, give us a hoy or shoot me a message on Instagram or Facebook and try and sort you out. They're free to a good home. <laughs> so... You just purely advertise through social media, do you? Or do you have a website or something? Yeah, mainly just um, on I've got a Facebook page. It's just JP Engineering. Um, it's got all my photos and just basic layout on there. And if people want more info, they can just give me a call or shoot me a text. I've got all my details on there. But uh, yeah, Facebook is massive. That's huge. I wouldn't be where I am today without it because uh, you just reach so many people through it. Um, but that and just word of mouth as well is a big thing. And, um, yeah, we do a lot with the dealerships. Like, most of the stuff we do is brand-new cars. Uh, so, you know, someone goes into a dealership and buys a new Hilux or Land Cruiser or Range, any car, um, and they want a ute tray, they can do it through us, and the dealership can literally, you know, truck the car to us, cab chassis, or with the tub on it still, and, yeah, get it done and get it back to the customer for handover. Yeah, yeah, nice. So, definitely worthwhile people looking into that. They're high-quality trays i was looking at them thinking if i didn't have a wagon i'd probably be looking at getting <laughs> one put on so unless i back into something and need to get <laughs> it cut down into a dual cab so yep. yeah <laughs> um back at the 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 chat itself it's it's obviously hunting related so yep you live in the Mecca. Yeah. Yep. This is the place where people pass through to hunt most weekends and you've got the lake nearby so there's fishing you got several species of animals around here and um yeah how, how do you balance that out it, it looks like you spend a lot of time in the high country so you've got deer in your backyard but you find yourself traveling hours to get to something different yeah well and as you just said like there is no shortage there is absolutely no 
no lack of animals around. Um, and as we seen this afternoon, you know, I, I pointed out to you this fellow and Sam and deer where we hunt. Um, and we seen that one small group, but it was probably 15 or 20 odd animals in that one group. But it's not uncommon, you know, on some properties to see up to 200, 250 fallow deer in an afternoon. Um, but yeah, getting back to more of the Samba, it's just hard when you're in an area like Mansfield, you know, it is a popular, and because you're only an hour and a half out of Melbourne, so you get a lot of weekend or day hunters. Um, so you're getting a lot of pressure as well, which don't get me wrong, the big stags are still there. Um, but as the old saying goes, they don't get big by being silly, and it's true, and a lot of them are nocturnal from so much pressure, but then the nocturnal side brings on the, brings out the spotlighting side as well, which is a pretty big problem. Um, but yeah, I, me personally... I love hunting them anywhere. It doesn't matter where you're going, especially with the bow. You know, it's any deer is a target if you want to, if you're in there for to try and get into a samba with the bow. But for me, if you want to try and shoot a really big head, um, high country is where it's at, I think. And I just love being a bit more remote and less chance of seeing people and the deer are a lot more relaxed as well. So I just, yeah, really enjoy getting up there and um, especially pack hunting is just, it's something else, I think. Yeah. So probably fair to say that majority of your hunting is that packed style hunting oh i'd say 50 50 um i I try and get out at least three or four afternoons a week after work and just poke around and check cameras and just do exactly what we did this afternoon on those small private blocks just poke around and keep tabs on things um but yeah i personally think um if you want to shoot those bigger mature heads obviously it makes sense you just got to get out a bit deeper and try and push your limits a little bit more and and not only that you just explore and just see some bloody awesome spots and don't get me wrong it can be frustrating too there's plenty of times where you bust your balls in those big hills and come out you know you might spend four days up there and as you know yourself see two or three deer or no deer even as opposed to hunting locally and seeing sometimes up to 30 40 salmon deer in an afternoon but um up there it's not about seeing numbers it's about just seeing that one deer that you know gets your blood going and yeah, makes you want to squeeze the trigger, I guess. Yeah, yeah, no, I fully understand that. So I've got so many different rabbit warrens I want to take you down, but I think we should go back to to the, almost the beginning of it all. So for me, my first interactions with you, you had only just started up a guiding business. Can you take us through what that was like? Because you, you were relatively young, you still are relatively young as it is, but back then... We're talking, what, five, six years ago you started a guiding yep. business? Yeah, so that all started off, um, as you, yeah, when you're young, you've got all those dreams that I always wanted, you know, dreamt to be, how yeah, good to be, to, you know, live in the country and be a hunting guide and, and alternatively make money, doing something you love. But um, I did it for a few years and, you know, it was good and I did like, I loved taking people out and it wasn't trophy hunting by any means if anyone, you know, people that are listening thinking that. It was more just about getting people out there that have never shot a deer or people that are messaging you, asking you for tips tips and, you know, just hints on where they can go and spots like that. And a lot of people in Melbourne that just don't have the places to go all the time. So it was just a sort of a fast track to get them in the hills and, and get them in front of some deer and show them some stuff, I guess. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, it's not what it's cut out to be. It's a lot of hard work and a lot of pressure as well. But, um, yeah, we... we I'd went pretty hard on it for about two years and, um, yeah, soon found that, you know, as good as it is, and I love hunting, but it, it sort of turns your passion into a job and I've found you don't want to be doing that. You're better off just working and, and doing what you do 
and then save your hunting for you know the time that you got up your sleeve when you really want to go the most and something to look forward to but um yeah once i got my own my fabrication up and running i sort of didn't have the time to be doing guided hunts so any time i did have spare time i was i was either working or out hunting so it sort of was the end of the guiding scene well not so much i don't call it guiding more um education sort of scene but uh yeah that's about it really yeah it's definitely a lot of interest in the the educational side of things so the ada have they've run their hunter education course I, i believe they only do it one a year and they fill that up pretty quickly and um paul bogues is doing one and errol mason had done one so they're I don't know whether there's enough to supply all of the people that are interested in doing it. So I pretty much get asked weekly, do I guide, will I guide, can I guide? So um, I think that clean food movement where people wanting to be more engaged with what eating what they kill, that is generating a lot of interest from people that might not have even come from hunting backgrounds to want to. So yeah. would you say that's a, probably a driver behind some of that? Yeah, and, and I think also as we even just spoke about before in the ute when we're driving home, um, you know, um, there's a lot of hunters out there that just they like the image of hunting not as much as they like actually hunting. Yeah. Um, you know, that is what it is. Everyone's different, has their own take on things. But yeah, for me and, and you yourself, you just if you live and breathe it and it's what you do, um, you're not too fussed about what anyone else is doing at the time. As long as you're in the bush and you're enjoying what you're doing, that's all that matters. But there is that majority of people out, out there that, you know, just love getting their photo and, you know, taking a photo of their, you know, what, you know, it is what it is. People, everyone's different. But, um, yeah, I've sort of gone off track a bit there. But That's all right. <laughs> so you did say before I started recording that you wanted to keep it positive. But yep. um, we all have those feelings at different times. I only just had a massive rant on the weekend about pretty much the same thing where, Social media is getting taken down a path where people are doing it for potentially the wrong reasons. Yeah, that's um, that's sort of what I was about to say. You know, people are, are forgetting why. What you know, some people are getting that wrapped up in the whole so- social media thing that they're spending more time on their f- looking down at their phone while they're hunting than they are concentrating on hunting, and it's just getting a bit. Um, yeah, I don't know, getting a bit far. <laughs> yeah, it is, and that might my, my rant sort of come down that path around. I enjoy social media, I enjoy sharing things, I enjoy trying to help people and education, but if it all blew up tomorrow and it didn't exist, I'm not going to change. I'm going to continue to do what I do because it's my yeah. passion and I love it. And and not only that, it, it keeps me sane. So yep. I know that if I haven't been in the in the woods or the, or the bush for a certain amount of time that I start getting a little bit more antsy and edgy at work or at home, potentially yep. picking fights with my <laughs> wife that I shouldn't. Um, she always wins. She wears the pants at home. So, yeah, uh, I know that it's time to hit the hills again if I start getting a bit like that. So, yep, for yeah, for sure. Um, talking backpack hunting. So, you've just come back from a high country trip. Can you talk us through how that went, the time of year? Yep. So, I always love this is sort of my favourite time of year, um, especially for getting up there. Uh, obviously, for people that aren't familiar with Victoria, we have a pretty serious snow season normally. Um, but by the time you're getting to late September, early October, majority of the snow is melted and all the deer are pushing. Um, you know, when their snow is dumped on the hills, everything drops down lower into the river country um, and pushes off that more open stuff that, you know, 
hunter's favour, obviously, because it's a bit easier to spot some deer on. But yeah, it greens up and the deer start pushing back up to the hills. Um, and it's just a good time of year to catch a stag out as well. And that's exactly what we've done this week. We went up there, as I've said earlier, in, earlier on. Had two mates from New Zealand come over who we sort of become pretty good mates with and done a bit of a hunt swap. Anto, um, he's a bloody legend from the Red Stag Timber Hunters Club, the TV show over there. It's an unbelievable series. If you haven't seen it, bloody get on it. Um, he actually took me and my older brother trout fishing in really remote waters in Fiordland and caught some bloody absolute thumping trout on fly rod and forever forever grateful for what he did for us and all he wanted in return was to come over and go for a samba hunt and yeah we did just that and Anto was able to take his two first samba stags which were just nice they were no monsters but absolutely he was bloody stoked um just nice ones and uh yeah I was able to take a nice one myself on the last well just the last evening of the hunt before we packed out the next day and uh, he's no monster either, but he's just a really nice one. He's 28 inches, um, and he's the first uh, nice stag I've shot with that new rifle, which I've just sort of got into and got that loaded up and got that thing really, really humming now and really confident with it, which is good for those longer shots, especially up there where you've got to stretch the legs a little bit sometimes. Yeah. So I want to touch on that rifle later on, so we'll stick back with the this hunt in particular. So yep. Uh, the feed, what, what, how did you find the feed? Was there as much? So last year was a pretty bad year for this time of year, I found, in the areas I hunted. There wasn't, because we had a few dumps of extra snow at different periods, we never actually got the growth that we ordinarily would get. So did you find that there was a bit of feed about? Yeah, there's definitely plenty of feed, especially on the... Um sort of on the westerly sides that aren't getting that aren't getting smashed by the sun obviously there's plenty of stuff that is just dry and just pretty horrible not much going on the grass is always a bit yellow up there this time of year as you know and um yeah but the the majority of the deer were exactly where we expected them to be if you f find the feed and sit off and glass it long enough especially on that prime time of evening when you expect to see them we uh we definitely saw them um the stag to doe ratio was pretty high this year which was pretty interesting we would have seen probably 50 to 60 odd deer and i'd say probably 10 hinds out of that 50 deer us uh, 50 60 deer uh, a lot of juvenile stags but um plenty of a lot of around that 24 25 inch mark which you know will turn into something good one day um i'm sure the big ones are there but once again the they were just elusive and they don't get big by being stupid so um it's not that they're not there we just didn't see them and that's just the way it goes yeah, so that's probably a case of there. The smarter ones are just coming out later. So if you're not looking in exactly the right spot, you blink, you miss them. Yeah, that's right. But getting back to what you said about the feed, um, there's definitely no shortage of feed up there. It was def like I said, those westerly sides that are that don't cop that the brunt of the sun up until sort of lunchtime were definitely nice and green and lush. And there's still plenty of water trickling in the springs. Um, we even we also picked up. We managed to pick up quite a few casties, which was good. Um, just some nice ones, but the same thing. Anywhere it was really green. We got, I got a lot of questions about people saying, you know, where do you find casties and where's the best spot to look? And I found in that high country area, um, if you're going to pick up casties, those green benches, especially under rock faces and ledges where you find a lot of beds where stags like to tuck up during the day and, you know, general rule of thumb. Um, if a stag spent a lot of time there, there's a good chance he's going to drop his antlers there throughout a certain time of year and, most stags do go up there and drop antlers and grow over summer when it's really green and lush and yeah 
we found we picked up I think seven or eight casties on some of those benches. So yeah, it was nice. So they fresh ones or some chalkies amongst them or yeah, a bit of a mixture of both. Which yeah. is always I don't mind seeing old chalky cast antlers because it gives you a little bit of hope that you know someone, someone hasn't walked across there. that face. Um, when you pick, it's always nice picking up a fresh one, but just bear in mind if you are finding old casties that haven't been picked up, well. At least you know no one no one's trudged through there the day before you were there or the week or the month or whatever it's been but um it's just a little bit of hope i guess unless i've been through there because <laughs> I, I, I don't like chalkies i chuck yep. the call chalkies yep. back down again so yeah there's no yeah i don't know whether i'm like everyone else or not but no nah, we think... did we did find a few chalky ones that had been you know missing a time or been chewed yeah. on by the dogs or the deer of some people's theories are but um yeah i'm a fan of if they're intact and got a little bit of color it's always good yeah yeah for sure so the the feed you you've seen and you're referring to was that a lot of that the clover starting yeah. to pop up yet or is it not quite the um, clover Still not quite. As I said, it was still pretty cold. It only just got warm in the last couple of days. We, you know, for us in Victoria, 25 degrees in the high country is a pretty warm day, and we were sort of nudging 25, 26, and um, yeah, like I, I dare say, it'll be a little bit off yet. There's still there's some clover growing, but mainly just that normal bloody. I'm no scientist when it comes to grasses, yeah, but no, just that standard enough. sort of alpine grass that grows up there on those yeah. benches and on those faces. Um, but so one of the first ones to pop up is generally the dandelion. It, it grows yep. really quickly and it pops up straight away because it's trying to get as much sun as it can. So. Yeah, and a lot of um, just sort of half-grown caprosma bushes that were on those shelves, all, all, yeah. they were all pruned right back and you'd see the tops have all been chewed off them. But every deer we've seen, um, there was no, there was a couple that were rutting pretty hard, but most of the most of the animals were nosed down. And a lot of the st- times you're sitting there in the binos wondering what the hell are they eating because they got you know the grass is yellow and they've got their face down, but there there's something in there that they're picking out which they're liking as well. Yeah, yeah. So I found that, that, that there's times where it's even just the lichen on the rocks that they're just going through, just picking a bit of that off or licking it off, and yep. yeah. No, that's that's pretty cool. So the next question was rutting activity. So you've seen a couple looking like they're rutting? So yep. big big necks or just nose up toes or Yeah, bit of bit, exactly what you've just said, a bit of both. Um couple of stags just obviously, you know, a bit puffed up. They're only young stags, but um you could tell they were rutted up, chunky necks and dry mud on them and walking around sort of thinking they were top shit. <laughs> yeah. But um cup one stag we've seen, uh he was actually a he was about a 26 on one side and handlebar on the other and he was pretty fired up and he was sort of not really caring about what else was happening in the world other than the doe that was in front of him that he's walking around with his head up her ass. But, um, yeah, um, most, of the, most of the other stags, like my big one that I shot, he was just on a solo mission and I just got lucky. I'd actually just spotted a, a nice one about 23, 24 inches uh, directly below me, only 200 metres on a little gut there. And I actually got on the radio and said to Anto, you know, to come down because um, this would be a perfect one for his first stag. And as he's making his way to me, the stag, this little one below me was completely unaware and, you know, had no cares in the world. Um, I thought, oh, he's not going anywhere, so I'll just throw the binos around and have a look. And lo and behold, look up on the hill and um, just got a glimpse of a big brown rump at about 650, 700, just behind some waddles on a little bench. And as you do, you always get a bit excited when you see a big body and you're just hoping to see antler tips come through when he pushed through the thick. And sure enough, he pulled. He, he uh, took three steps forward and swung his head around and seen some pretty handy antlers on his head and got a bit excited. 
Um, so when Anto turned up, I just sort of told him to just back up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just wait a second. Um, and it was a bit of a rush rush moment because he was about to push into <laughs> some thick stuff. Um, but we just managed to get, get there in time and get the shot off, which was sort of down to the seconds in the end. But it all worked out pretty well because I shot my stag. And not to be greedy, but uh, looked down and that other stag was still there. And Anto pretty excitedly <laughs> asked if I could, uh, if he could please have the gun. <laughs> so I handed him the rifle and managed to shoot his stag from the same position. So we had two stags down in about 30 seconds, which is a pretty cool experience. And we're both pretty pumped. And yeah, something I'll remember for a long time anyway. Yeah, I don't know too many people that can have that claim. So <laughs> without changing position. Yeah. Can you take us through a bit of your gear that you're using for those types of hunts? So you've obviously been doing it a while, so you will have refined how you do it and what you're doing. So yep, yeah, I, I'm pretty. I've go with some mates that take everything, you know, nearly the kitchen sink with them and every milk, little milk frother. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, Jovers, you can get a shout out for this one with your milk frother. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a classic. Um, no, but yeah, as I said, I, I like to take just the bare essentials um, along with some comforts. But the stuff I'm running is nothing. I don't run anything too special. Um, the tent I use is a, I use a MS MSR tent, um, and that's a I believe it's a Hubba Hubba or something like yeah. that. I think it's classed as like a one and a half man tent. I like one thing I I I really like is having a tent that's big enough to sleep in comfortably, but enough to have you put your rifle in, obviously, and your gear. So if you do get some crappy weather come in. Um, yeah, I think everyone can. Anyone that's back pack hunting can vouch for waking up with wet, soggy gear, and it's not much fun. So, no. yeah. So the tent I use is that. Um, I just use a Cedar Summit. Um, I think it's a. Yeah, I'm pretty useless with brand names. It's just a blow up air mattress. Yeah. Um, sleeping bag I use is a Cedar Summit sleeping bag. It's a. Uh, I think it's a minus five, which is actually a, it's a bit heavy. But um, it's comfortable enough for summer and comfortable enough for winter. I found I always sleep sort of clothed in winter and a bit of a, a bit of a wuss. Uh, what else? Yeah, just the basic stuff. I like a jet boil. Um, jet boil. Uh, what Your else? Pack. The pack I use is a Mark Markor pack. Yeah. I don't take a huge. I don't use a huge pack. Uh, just enough. It just fits what I need including food and water and i find it's not a bad thing because the bigger your bag you find you got more space so you find yourself taking more stuff and it, yeah before you know it you know if you i like to try and keep my pack loaded at around sort of 15 16 kilos um that's with food and everything i don't take a whole lot of water i generally plan my hunts around having springs and a water source because water's as you know is pretty um pretty critical to make your pack heavy especially if you try and carry two or three liters always try and take a better liter or a liter and a half um most of the time you can get like we're, we're pretty comfortable we're going to have water yeah. so there's been i know one time where i hunted it was february yeah we, we were just allowed back into the alpine national park so that's mid-feb and and i thought i'll just carry enough water in to get me to a, a spring i know about that usually runs all year round this time it didn't, so I only had enough water to get myself to there, and then it's like, ah, crap, because you know you've got to drop right off the top. So the whole point of yep. hiking in across the tops was to have the elevation, and then you you got to drop it just to get water and get back up. So you'd mentioned earlier that you just went in with no water, so how did you just go with that? Yeah, no, I'll just um, tell you a little story quickly about no water. <laughs> I had a pack hunt man, my good mate Andy, um, a spot in the high country we used to go to sort of this uh, it's probably early December we always used to walk in there 
and there was a spring there that we got that comfortable with. Um, we just decided on this trip, stuff it. We're not going to take water because we can just uh, get water at that spring, and it's about four k's straight off this main ridge, and it's not a real nice walk. It's it's pretty unpleasant, <laughs> and um, yeah. Anyway, we sweat our asses off walking down. It's downhill, but it's still hard going, especially in December for anyone that's hunted Victorian high country in December with a pack on. When you're not stepping on snakes, you're just sitting down sweating. Um, but yeah, anyway, get into this spot, tonguing for a drink, get all the way down there, and the spring is just absolutely bone dry. First time we've seen it like that, you know, ever. And we're thinking, shit, this is not good. Um, we're saying, righto, well, we've got to do something. We can't just pull the pin and go back to the ute. And yeah, so the only water we could find was in a dirty old stag's wallow. <laughs> and it's getting new, like it yeah. wasn't real fresh uh, for us. And yeah, we ended up putting it in the jet boil, boiling it and then sieving it through a sweaty t-shirt into our drink bottles um, and letting it cool overnight thinking, oh, you know, you've boiled it and we've strained it. It can't be that bad. But uh, yeah, moral of the story, it just tastes like cold stag piss. <laughs> yeah, you're not gonna, there's no amount of filtering or boiling that's going to get rid of that taste. That no. taste is going to be there. If anything, the taste is going to be worse after you boil Yeah, it. I think we probably boiled the steam. The, all, anything that was water has uh, come to steam and was no longer in there. Yeah. But yeah, getting back to water on this last trip, we were pretty lucky. We we managed to get onto some um, some pretty good springs not too far from camp. Um, and there was actually sort of a natural puddle not far from camp that had a spring flowing in it for the first two days anyway. So we were drinking that water, but um, as, it t as it heated up, the spring sort of stopped and the puddle became still. And yeah, we are getting a bit weary about it because you can get pretty crook from those that dirty puddle water and there'd be nothing worse when you're sort of way back in there, in the hills there and getting crook. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of a giardia stomach bug or something like that would be enough yep. to, you'll lose some weight. Yeah, yeah, you won't need Jenny Craig, but <laughs> <laughs> you probably need a share in Kleenex as well. <laughs> yeah, so you got pretty lucky with the weather, did you? Yep, no, we we knew the forecast was good. It was actually a fair bit warmer than we expected. Um, yeah, look, that time of year I was thinking, you know, we're going to be pretty, it's going to be cold, but most warning, mornings were pretty mild, and that was one thing that actually did make it a bit hard with the deer hunting scene because... You know, sometimes in the high country, the best times can be 9 and 10 o'clock in the morning before you start seeing deer. That's where a lot of people go wrong as well. They they get up first thing in the morning, which don't get me wrong, it's that can be the best as well. But I've done it before. You 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 wake up and you, you push out to your glassing points and sit there for that first three hours shivering in the cold when you're not, you don't see anything. By the time the sun gets up, you're ready to bloody go back and sit near the campfire. But that can sometimes be the best time to see, see stags I've found, or any deer for that matter. Um... But uh, yeah, the the weather for us was quite warm and quite still. There was no, not a lot of breeze. It's very still afternoons, which deer, that's my opinion, they don't move a whole lot when it's that still. Um, the stags, we some of the deer we've seen on those still arvos, you know, by the time you glass them, you might watch them for two hours and they'll be lucky to move 30 metres, mm. just head down feeding. So you can only picture when you're sitting there glassing, if you spot a deer behind a bush or, you know, when you do finally, faintly spot a deer and you think, shit, I, I waved the binos over that spot five times and I've only just picked it up now, you know, how many times do you do that and there's big stags sitting just behind one tree and you're sitting there thinking there's nothing there after glassing for two or three hours. Um, but, yeah, I'm going off, off, off topic again. But no, as no, I said, with right. with the weather and, and, the, and the wind and stuff, we were pretty lucky. Yeah, it was quite good. But... 
um, 26, 27 degrees is sort of enough to be uncomfortable when you're, when you're pushing out on those big walks and obviously starting to get a bit worried about snakes too, but we were quite lucky. We, uh, I think Jack only saw one snake. Um, the rest of us, the Kiwis were sort of shitting their dacks the whole time, worried about snakes, but we, yeah, only seen a couple, uh, like I said, Jack seen one and we seen none. So we're very lucky. I was expecting to see a few a day. Yeah. Take us back to that glassing strategy then so I, I i know full well that it when i'm glassing that country that i want to be at least in the middle of the day i'll be glassing around because even if they had bedded down i'm expecting them to get up stretch their legs maybe have a feed for another half an hour just to have a bit more cud to sit back down and chew the cud throughout the afternoon so yep any advice you've got for people in in that just don't head back to camp and just stick it out yeah that's right and and I used to do the same thing. Like you'd go up there, and as I said, you'd, you can only you can only glass so long before you start mentally getting strained, or you know, you can, some people get headaches from glassing too long. But um, yeah, up there, it's just it's just a different ballpark where those deer have got no pressure. You can you'd be amazed what can come out at any time of the day. But you've just got to have the patience to sit there. And I think that's something that will only come with time and experience sitting up there until you start witnessing deer. Um, in those odd times of the morning, like late morning and, as you said, middle of the day when they get up to stretch their legs or or there could be a stag wandering up that's been down in the thick stuff all night and he's just cruising his way up. Um, you just don't know where they're going to appear. But for me, like general rule, and I'm not saying I'm, I'm right or wrong or, you know, however you want to hunt is how you hunt. But for me, I'd love, obviously, when it's cooler, you can't beat glass in those mornings, as everyone says, you know, the sunny faces, which is a fact, you know, freezing cold morning, it's pretty bomb-proof, especially if it's a face with feet on it, you're going to see deer there. Um, but in those warmer months, you can be caught out, as, you know, you've got to keep an open mind. Uh, we've seen a lot of deer too, even in the sunny, like in the, uh, I guess you'd call it the easterly side faces in the morning, or the westerly, it depends what way you're glassing, but yeah. in the shady side of the morning, um, you know, people go on about, you know, you got to look in the sun, you got to look in the sun, but when it's warm, the deer aren't chasing the sun. They All they care about is where the feed is. And, yeah, you can be sitting there glassing the sunny face all you like, but you might be better off turning around and whipping down and looking where it's a bit greener out of the sun because if it's not cold, there's no reason for the deer, you know, they're just going to be where the food is and where they're comfortable at the end of the day. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. did you have any frosts? No, no frosts at all. We've got a, you know, a couple of dewy mornings, but frosts are always pretty good. They're sort of a pretty bomb-proof reason to to start scanning sunny mm. spots, or even doesn't have to be an open face as such. Even just a a broken air, a broken sort of um, spur or something like that with a little clearing, they're no different to us at the end of the day. If you've spent a night freezing cold, shivering all night, um, if there's a little pocket of sun or you're sitting behind a tree, you know where you're going to be sitting. So it's the same general rule with deer, I find. Um, but, yeah, no frost for us on this trip. But, as I said, we've still seen plenty of deer, but uh, mainly just targeting those high feed areas. And, as I said, anywhere you'd expect to see deer is where we saw them. So we, we got pretty lucky as well, though. Like, it was just one of those trips where everything just went to plan. Um, as I said, they certainly don't all go like that. And when you take a Kiwi out that's never hunted in Victoria or Australia for Samba, um, and they see it straight off the bat like that, um, perfect weather and lots of deer and they shoot a handful of stags. It's, yeah, they were pretty bloody, pretty lucky, I reckon. Yeah, yeah, no. And, um, you finished the trip off with the handlebars, Diag too. Yep, yeah, so we actually, we packed out. 
um, we come back. Um, Morgan, the other fella from New Zealand, who's a top bloke, he was a bit unlucky. Um, you know, he did, I'm not going to beat around the bush, he shot a stag and we couldn't find it, which happened, that's hunting, that does happen. Um, no one was there with him, he was on his own, but he was confident of a good shoulder hit and the deer put its tail up and sort of, it actually went uphill, which is a bit strange, um, but a 200 metre shot. Anyway, we went in there and had a good search and we didn't locate any blood or nothing. So he could have even missed it, but he was confident he hit it. So you can't not go and look for it. But uh, yeah, once we packed out, we had a bit of a night, had a couple of beers and caught up on some food and water. Um, it was after we recharged the batteries, everyone was pretty keen to go again. So we just went and, went and sat out, even though it was a pretty miserable, wet, rainy afternoon, went and sat at a local spot where I've been watching a few deer, um, just hoping we can, you know, Get, get Morgan his first stag. Uh, you know, he's a pretty happy-go-lucky. If he didn't shoot one, he wasn't going to be stressed. But I really did want to see him shoot one because he deserved it. And, uh, yeah, right on cue. Um, that uh, pretty wild-looking handlebar had big brow tines and matching set of Harley handlebars hanging out each side, stepped right out at, at 300-odd metres. And, yeah, he managed to put a good shot on it and get it down. And, no, he was bloody stoked, which is good to see. There's a bit of live action Instagram story going <laughs> on there too, I think I see. Yeah, a little, uh, little teaser update as we uh, had the camera on him just before Morgan shot. Um, yeah. yeah, I've got the, I've actually got the footage there. I should put it up. You said you filmed some of your shots on your pack hunt as well. Yep. No, every uh, – so Anto's two stags that he shot, we've, both, we've got both those kills on camera and same with my, my footage is a bit, bit skew if because Anto was off to the side of me. Um, but yeah, you can see the vapor trail come in. It was a 650 meter shot. Um, I know some people might judge that, but as I said, we're geared up and I've been practicing for it and I was more than, more than confident with the shot. And yeah, that deer went 10 meters and we, he was down. So, yeah. So talk, talking about that shot, we can use that as a segue into the next conversation. (laughs) So long range hunting, like it or don't like it, people are going to have an opinion. So you've been around the traps for long enough now that it what's your take on it all you're obviously doing it so yep yeah and some as i said some people might think that's a bit odd bit of a 360 spin going from bow hunting where you shoot them at 20 meters to being able to shoot them out to a thousand meters but um yeah people can take it or leave it however they like it as i said i'm pretty open-minded when it comes to how you're doing it um as long as you're out there doing it and you're enjoying doing it and you're doing it the right way then i don't have an issue with it um yeah, like I, I'm not out there to shoot every deer I see, obviously, just because I've got a long-range gun, but it's more just to increase the chances, the time, the money that you invest in those high-country trips. You might go, you might do 10 trips for the year, and you might see a good stag every trip or every third trip, um, but it's pretty heartbreaking when you go up there and see big stags every trip for five, four or five trips, and there's nothing you can do about it when they're out of your comfort zone, so... That's when I thought, bugger it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a go at this. So I bought, got lashed out and got the sort of the setup. Had a bit of a play, and I, I thought in my mind, if I can confidently shoot a deer at 500 meters, I'll be stoked. Um, but yeah, after getting hold of it and uh, hand loading for it and going it and seeing what it can do, it's a bit of an eye opener. And as you seen this afternoon, we had a couple of shots out of it. Um, and to see you just get behind the rifle and pick it up, pick out a rock at 900 metres and hit it first shot with a rifle you're not familiar with, um, I'm sure it might have been a bit of an eye-opener for yourself as well. Oh, it absolutely was. I, I would have said that I couldn't have shot a deer-sized target at 900 metres prior to today. So I, 
I haven't had anything to do with those types of rifles before, so I've handled a few. I, I always thought that those type of rifles were big, heavy, clunky things that you could only you could only carry for 100 metres without doing a back injury or something. <laughs> but this thing was – you handed it to me and said it's pretty heavy, but when I grabbed it, it I said, geez, it's light because I wasn't expecting it. But yep. you throw it up and you can feel the front yeah. end weight on the forearm but, yep. or the forestock, but – um, yeah, you could easily have, that's easily a rifle that you would shoot close yeah, range as well as long range. Yeah, and that's sort of what I was saying before. It's, you can't. It's hard to have a gun that can do everything. Um, you know, I've gone from a lightweight stalking rifle, which is just a, a little stainless teaker. Um, I then had a when I first merged and thought I'll have a go at the long range. I got a custom one built, and that was in three hundred um, ultra mag. And yeah, when it turned up. I was a bit um, shell-shocked. I picked it up and I thought, Jesus, this thing is... And that had no scope on it, no bipod, no ammo in it, obviously. I thought, I'm not going to... I can't picture myself putting this on the pack or having it in your hand next year and, and pushing out 15, 16 Ks in a day with it. Um, as good as it did shoot, it was unbelievable, but just it, it wasn't capable. Of, it wasn't going to be the right tool for the job. So that's when I started shopping around. And yeah, that new rifle now, that, uh, it's a Christensen Arms, um, full carbon barrel. And yeah, it's um, more than you can carry that all day, and the accuracy it's got is unbelievable. I'm hand loading for it, obviously, and um, yeah, that thing shooting like no word of a lie, um, inch and a half groups at 500 meters, and yeah, like right conditions. I'd have no. Don't get me wrong, if I can get closer, I will, and make the shot count. But if there's a stag of a lifetime on an opposite face, and it's the right conditions, and everything's in my favour, the yeah, anything out to 900 metres or even a 1,000 metres, say, is more than doable. Um, but as I said, it's, yeah, not everyone's into that. Take it or leave it. But, you know, I've done, I've, I've shot them up close with the bow. I've shot them stalking. I've shot them, I've shot deer off dog, off dog, sorry. Um, yeah, I've, you know, you've done it all those ways. The way I look at it, if you're putting in the hours, the real trophy is finding one of those big stags that's worthy of shooting. And if you can shoot it from that far, well, I don't have an issue with that at all. Yeah, I guess it starts becoming that ethical recovery type discussion, which is a totally different argument. Yep. I don't really even want to go down that yep. rabbit warren myself. So, yep. but I, I, I hunt. I've hunted with a trad bow, a compound bow, a rifle. I've hunted off hounds. I've hunt, I've stalked. I've 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 been paid to shoot deer in a spotlight while I was yep. a pro like professionally culling in in some of our closed catchments. So I've been around a lot of the bushes, um, long range stuff. It wasn't something that I thought I would do, but then after playing around today, like a couple shots and shooting a it wasn't even a basketball sized target at, at over a thousand meters is yep. is yeah, almost thousand. ludicrous for someone with no formal training or anything like that. So. Yeah, second shot and yeah, thousand thousand forty, and you've hit yeah, literally a football sized rock from yeah. a thousand from over. It's a kilometre. It's yeah, it's yeah. Until you do it, it's pretty hard to explain it. You got to something you got to do to believe. I, I reckon. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was impressive, and and not only that, it just it opens the, the eyes up a bit. The ease of use too. So yeah. Yep. Take us through that setup again. So it's a Christensen's arm, it's a carbon barrel. So that obviously reduced the weight. Yep. So I think that gun, don't quote me on this, Christensen. Um, I think that gun weighs, I think it's three point uh, six six pounds, I think it is. Yeah. Or six and a half pounds, thereabouts, um, which is pretty, you know, similar to a 
just an everyday stalking rifle. Yeah. Um, and then on the top of it, the scope, it's a Swarovski X5, um, which is a 5 to 25 by 56. And that's just got your turret system on it, which I've got linked up with my, I've got Leica Jervid binos. So they've got the built-in rangefinder and ballistic chart in them. So the ballistic chart will work to 950 metres. So with that rifle, all that means is I can be sitting there glassing. If I pick up a stag on the opposite face, I can put the binos up, click the button, and it'll say that stag's 755 metres. Go up X amount of clicks on my turret. Um, and then, yeah, if it's windy, that's up to me. If it's too windy, I just don't shoot. It's as simple as that. I don't have a Kestrel or any of that fancy stuff. Um, I just believe if it's too windy, don't shoot. Full stop. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a pretty bomb-proof setup. And as I said, it's proved itself so far, and I'm just excited to... That's the first high-country trip I've done with it this last trip just gone. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm, I'm heading back up in a couple of weeks, so we'll see what else we can do. And the bullets, you're hand-loading? Yep. So they're, um, they're yeah, they're 230-grain burger projectile which is a pretty big bullet for a 30 cal um but i've got them sort of sitting around sort of 20 2950 feet per second so they're fairly moving for a big bullet um and yeah the damage they do is pretty pretty incredible so i've got full confidence in that setup um yeah it's it's proven itself more than once now so um yeah, I don't. I don't think I'll be changing the setup or mucking around too much once once you've got it. The old saying, you know, if it's not broken, don't try and fix it. It's yeah, it's proved itself from the get go. And I got pretty lucky with that. There's a lot of guys that go down that path with custom builds and long range and reloading, and they have headache after headache, and they change things and they chop this and yeah, back and forth, back and forth. Where I sort of just got lucky and hit the nail on the head first up. Um, and had a little bit of help from a from a mate who had a similar rifle setup, who just got me started with the basics of what I what I need to be doing with my reloads, and I just went out and tested it, and yeah, it just it just worked for me, I guess. So, having been pretty new to it, what's the best advice you got for someone that might want to go down that long range rifle setup? Um, uh, I think it all just depends on what you want to hunt and what you want to push your limits to with how far you want to shoot. As I said, there's much bigger rifles and calibers you can go, but I just wanted something that, as I said today, if you're stalking along, you want to be able to throw the gun up and shoot something at 50 metres or 1,000 metres. So you just got to keep that in mind and you know how far you've got to carry the rifle if you're doing pack hunts or if you just more so go into a spot where you can camp and you know walk 50 metres from your car and glass. That's, that's completely up to you. Um, but the biggest thing as well, just a gun you're comfortable with um, and, yeah, don't... Don't try and get out of it too too cheaply. Like if you just save up and afford the best you can, because well not not the best you can, but don't don't be too skimpy with your money because you do get what you pay for with those rifles. Um, it's a bit different for your everyday stalking rifles. You know, there's some budget rifles out there that are that are bloody awesome, but if you're pushing the limits, you know, barrels and quality of barrels and triggers and just components, just you really got to look into that stuff. Which I didn't at the start. I didn't know much about it. Um, but it's not until you start talking to blokes and, and experience it yourself that you start to get a bit of an understanding for it. But as you said, for um, any tips or anything like that, uh, yeah, just a rifle that you can comfortably shoot. Don't overgun yourself as well. Um, and muzzle brakes are a big thing. Like you want to make sure you've got a muzzle brake because there's a lot of people that will shoot those big calibers and will flinch. And that's one thing. I used to flinch a bit too, even like shooting a short magnum. The recoil of them is pretty vicious. Um, but when you go to these and you shot that big gun today like it's a big gun with a big bullet 
and it's it's literally like shooting a two two three, but it's just ear protection is a must, obviously. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much all I can really tell you on that yeah, subject. Yeah, so there was very minimal recoil. Yeah, from from such a large bullet, and um, I like you said that you can see your hits through the scope. I couldn't. I, yep. Having said that, I fired two, two shots. shots. Yeah. Um, and I kind of lost it. What I was surprised at was the time it took for the projectile to get there. <laughs> yeah. It was like, whoa, what's going on here? And then all of a sudden, poof, yeah, you, you pull the trigger and you you do get the target back on scope, and you think, have I missed? You've, you've, your brain has time for you to register if you've missed or not, and then you see a puff of dust come off the rock. I think yeah. the flight time was like two point four seconds on those shots today. So, no, it is pretty cool. And as I said, it's just something different. Um, not everyone's into it, but that's the best thing about opinions. Everyone's got one. Yeah, absolutely. So just on the couple of days shot with that last week, did you did they have exit wounds or did it did it? Uh, funnily enough, no, they didn't. Um, a lot of the deer I have shot on farm, you know, the farmland around here, just thinning the numbers out. Just you know, just any deer, not looking for stags or trophy hunting, just does and spikies and stuff like that. I've shot stuff out to. Um, I think the longest shot was 1,200 metres on a fallow deer and that exited, you know, at that distance people think you haven't got much energy but they're exiting with holes the size of a cricket ball at that at that distance. But those big samba, they soak up a bullet. I think Anto's, even his close-up shot at 200 metres, that bullet, he hit shoulder bone um, and it put it down pretty bloody quick and it, it didn't exit. Uh, the, the second stag he shot was at 350 and he hit bone on that too, which it dropped it on the spot, like just lights out, no exit. And mine was actually a quartering away shot, and I sort of had to pump him a bit farther, further back, but quartering up, so it puts the bullet up into the vitals. And once again, that didn't exit either, but I'm not too concerned about bullets exiting because those bullets are designed to go in and just sort of fragment and mm. cause massive internal damage. And I'm, I didn't open them up to inspect. Um, we just sort of got the heads and the and the back straps out of them, but... Yeah, the as I said, the, all all three deer were down really quick, so it's yeah doing its job as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that's right. So the exit hole is obviously going to help with anything with, with blood trails and yeah, things like definitely. That. Yep. Um, the traumas already occurred with the bullet yep. travelling in and and damaging internally. So provided you're getting that much enough penetration to damage both lungs or yeah or even a heart or whatever, so. Yeah, yeah I was just interested to know whether the, the projectiles at that distance were actually punching through a big mature stag. So. Yeah, and I've tested them. at I've shot a, a deer at 30 metres stalking, um, and as I said, out to 1,200 metres, and the damage at 1,230 metres is nearly identical, which is funnily enough, you'd think it'd be one would one be pinholing, one would be exploding, but mm. those bullets just seem to be a magic combination um, coming out of that rifle. So as I said, I'm... Just sort of got lucky and, yeah, it's a real confidence booster that, you know, you hit one of those big stags, there's no there's no questioning it. If you hit it well, it's 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 a done deal. Yeah, it's funny that. So everybody has their favourite calibres that they lean to and, like, I'm very much a 30.06 man, but a friend of mine a long time ago, he had a 300 Winchester short mag yep. and we we were told everyone like the, all these guys were raving and that and you clearly have one so you obviously like the caliber but yet i was finding exactly what you just suggested pinholing anything under 70 meters we'll just punch yep. a clean hole through and we lost a few animals get it outside 150 yeah different gun and, yeah and you would just be smashing these things but under yep. yeah i didn't like the fact that under it was just punching clean holes through but 
we didn't play around. It wasn't my gun, so I didn't buy different projectiles and play around with projectiles and yep. things like that. So, um, yeah, yeah, different I, calibers do that though, and and bullets too. You'll find if you mixed up your ammo a little bit. Um, I always used to run Barnes in my WSM, a TTSX, yeah. 165 grain Barnes, and on fallow deer and light skin stuff, they did. You'd fire the shot knowing well and truly that you've hit that deer perfect and they'd run 50, 60 yards and you start questioning yourself but then all of a sudden there's lights out where, as you said, you get out a bit further where that bullet's slowed down enough to open up and do its job a bit um, and, yeah, it's just a different game altogether. I just It's a completely different, you know, just sort of a bang-flop <laughs> scenario sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you... I think we've probably covered off that long-range rifle stuff. So you've yeah. you've done what I believe is probably the hardest thing to do in Australia, and that's mature samba stag with archery gear. Yep. Um, do you want to take us through your gear? Yeah. The the journey to get that done because it's taken you like you 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 started archery as a as a young fella, and then you, it was only last year that you've shot that big stag. So, yep. and then just how this hunt unfolded because I was there today and explained <laughs> it a bit it sounded pretty cool so yeah so yeah as you just said like I've started the bow from a young age as I said I didn't get like I started shooting mucking around bows when I was seven or eight as a kid um and once you sort of get to that 13 14 as I said my old man used to drop me off with my backpack with enough water and tucker to keep me going all day and he'd pick me up that night and I'd go all day and didn't have a clue what I was doing back then as a kid but um I persisted with that for about four years and I actually shot my first deer when I was about 13 or 14 and I was on my own and I'll never forget it to that to this day and he was only a, a young little fellow buck in the rut. Um, I was just sitting there, a good mate of mine, um, Casey McCallum actually, <laughs> he, uh, at the time he was, I was I was pestering him going, Macca, how are you calling in these fellow deer, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, taught me how to do the old uh, fellow deer doe call and yeah, it Long story short, called this deer in and um, managed to to plug in pretty well with the arrow. And at this stage, you know, what bow hunting is like, I had hit a few deer and, and hadn't recovered them. And that's just, that's part of bow hunting as well. Like you're not going to, you don't get every, every deer back as, you know, beautiful as everyone makes it out to be and happy and that sort of thing. But there is a lot that goes behind it. Um, but yeah, that day I got that deer down, I was absolutely stoked. And it's one of those things, once you break the ice, I don't know, it's... It just, it's a bit funny. It took about four years to get the first one with the bow, but then I shot about four within three weeks. Um, but that's just fallow deer. Sam deer were a different ball game again. Um, and yeah, I sort of went through my stages with bow hunting where you, you're flat out into it. And I still love it to this day, but you just get that where you're short on time and, um, you know, the rifle's always easy to grab it if you're going for a walk or something like that. Whereas the bow, you've got to be constantly practicing and be on your game. But, uh, yeah, I sort of come and come came and went came and went from the bow for a while there, and finally got to the stage where I shot a few deer with a rifle, and I was sick of, not sick of it, but I was sick of going hunting locally and seeing you know lots and lots of deer, but at the end of the day not putting the hunt in, and uh, that's when I thought you know what I'm putting the gun in the safe for a bit, I'm going to get the bow out, and I'm just going to go really hard, and I want to try and shoot a nice just a representative samba head with the bow. Cause that's something I've always wanted to do, but um, it just I was never able to make it happen just for whatever reason. And anyway, I was uh, telling Josh this afternoon as we're on this property where I um, do a bit of hunting. And uh, yeah, so this time, literally this time last year, probably two, 
probably within the week, actually, I'd say. Um, I'd been checking cameras and going back and forth, flat out, um, just scoping the area out head to toe and just kept turning up the same stags on the trail cameras and started getting not frustrated but just starting to really wonder what's going on and where are the big stags and have I you know, put too much pressure on this spot or you really start questioning yourself and if the deer are even there. Um, the, you know, the deer are there, but I mean the big mature ones. And anyway, this particular afternoon... Uh, wandering in to the wallow, check the camera, going through the photos. I'm like, yep, same stag, same stag. You know, you just about know him by name. And then I'm clicking through the photos, and then boom, there he, there's this stag there in the wallow at 3 a.m. the previous night, um, just having a good, great time. He's whipping a tree around, and he's uh, spraying, you know, rolling around, spraying himself with piss and carrying on as they do. And I was just stoked to have one on the camera at the time. And I remember messaging my mate Andy, who was hunting with me. He was up the a bit further up the uh, up the gully, and so I got a good one on the camera. Um, bloody stoked! So you know, left it at that, and I thought, oh ripper! So I took the photos off the camera, set set it back up, and just wandered on out. And I'm sort of wandering out, walking along, thinking, oh geez, it'd be good to bloody see him. And then yeah, I'm, about five minutes later, lo and behold, I'm walking along. And it was right on that beautiful time of night where you'd see Samba coming out, you know, 15 minutes before dark. And I just look up and there he is. And I sort of went, I just fell to pieces. And I'd been practicing flat out and all my gear was spot on. Um, anyway, this stag's trotted out head down, completely unaware. And I had a fallen tree right in front of me, which just was just bloody perfect. And I just, I'll never forget it. It was just, I can picture it like it was yesterday crawling up to the log, wind in my face, stag head down, antlers just twitching away and big brute of a stag, had dry mud on him. Um, yeah, and I just I can remember putting the rangefinder up, clicking the button and just seeing 40 metres and it looked so much further at the time with a bit of missing ground in the little dip where he was uh, and I was confident out to 60 metres. I'd been just nailing the target. And I remember drawing back and putting the beat on him and I was saying to myself, this is it, this is it. You know, you've been waiting for this moment for so bloody long. Don't stuff this up, don't stuff it up. And I got it, I used to get a bit of target panic um, with the release that I was using and I had the, the bead on him, on just he's perfectly broadside at 40-odd metres and I was about to punch the trigger and I sort of stopped myself and I just sort of said, just relax, just relax, you idiot. It's just, it's a deer, it's no different than any other deer. Yeah, it's a bit bigger than the ones you've shot in the pre in the past, but um, this is do not stuff this up. And I sort of recollected myself while it's still at full draw. I actually shut my eyes and opened them again, and the pin was just sitting there, perfect. Had my finger on the release aid and just a bit of tension and just just that perfect clean release, and just watched the arrow just sail straight in and um, yeah, just it punched straight through him and hit him and through the heart, and the arrow was sitting in the dirt on the other side. And he sort of spun around as if to say, what the hell was that that just hit me? He was that unaware that I was there. Um, anyway, he's crashed into the bushes and I just sat there and I didn't know what to say. I didn't know whether to cry or to spew. Um, yeah, and I knew it was a good hit and I was instant, it was just instant relief. Um, I gave it a couple of minutes and I couldn't help myself. I ran straight over to where he was and picked up the arrow out of the ground. Just had rich, big, you know, dark red blood all over it and instant blood trail. And I told myself... No, don't follow it up. Just come back tomorrow because it was right on that, right on dark. And I'm like, oh, I've been here before. I'm not going to get excited yet. You know, I don't want to push in and bump him. And I rang anyway. I rang Andy on the phone. I said, look, I've just shot that bloody stag I got on the trail camera. I can't believe it. 
Um, he was pretty pumped up at the time as well. And he goes, all right, don't move. I'm going to come down there with you and we'll find it together. I said, no, no, look, I'm just, we'll just come back tomorrow and just start fresh. I don't want to risk bumping him, even though I was confident of the shot. He goes, right, I'll see you in 20 minutes. So I'm sitting there twiddling my thumbs. I couldn't help myself. And I was, I could still see, I still had daylight at this stage. And I started thinking, I'm starting to look and I'm like, oh, I've got pretty, pretty good blood here. I'll just poke along a little bit more and just make sure we've got blood for tomorrow. Poked along a little bit more and it just got thicker and thicker. I'm thinking, oh, no, nah, nah, just leave it. We'll come back tomorrow. And then uh, Andy rang. He goes, yeah, I'm just at the car now. It'll be five minutes. I thought, right, I'll bugger it. I'll just, get, I'll just go up here a little bit more. And I couldn't help myself. The blood was just getting heavier and heavier. And I'm walking along. And by this stage, I have my phone torch looking on the ground. I didn't have my head torch with me. And, uh, yeah, the blood just come to a stop. And I'm thinking, oh, shit, what, what's going on here? That's it's been so good. And I was just... That uh, yeah, that unaware of looking for blood, I stopped looking for the deer, and I looked. I turned my head, and there he is, five meters away, just dead on a blackberry bush, just stone dead, big antlers sticking up in the air, and yeah, I reckon I nearly bloody shed a tear then. I, yeah, it's just something I won't ever forget, and um, uh, yeah, just awesome, just highlight of my hunting career, I guess as you'd say. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to do it again, that's for sure. I'll try my hardest this year, uh, as I said doing a bit of the long-range rifle and then going back to the bow. It's a bit of a 360, but, um, yeah, for anyone that's picked up the bow and hunted and been successful with it, they everyone knows, shares that same experience and it's something you really can't uh, explain until you've done it yourself. And, yeah, I'm, I'm sure you know the same feeling as well, Josh. Yeah, so the difference between... They sound very similar along the lines of how the hunt unfolded, but i actually seen my big one go down within eyesight so I could sit back and be comfortable knowing that I could yep. see him there. Mind you, I sat there with another arrow knocked just in case he happened to move or flinch. He was going to cop another one. But, yep. yeah, certainly for me, that that was a goal I set myself that took numerous years to have achieved and it, it broke me as a kid. So I was very similar in that I hunted my teenage years because it gave me independence from dad if I went with dad we were rifle shooting and I had to be near next to him whereas the bow I could go out I didn't need adult supervision yep so I spent the teenage years hunting but then as a 18 year old I had a few near misses on stags and then decided you know what I'm just getting a rifle and I'd done away with the bow so yep. I got close then and then when I set my mind to it it was a it was a it was a lifelong goal and when I finally achieved it yeah it's certainly high up there but yeah. it's something that there's probably only a couple dozen Australian archers that have actually achieved it so yeah. it's it's a fair accomplishment and it um, certainly it's no easy feat even in the current climate where there's plenty of deer around but there's they're not easier to hunt no so. that's right and at, yeah it's a funny moment when you walk up there and you sit your bow down and you sit next to it and especially when you're on your own and it's just quiet at yeah you really can't explain it but you could not honestly care what else is happening in the world right then in that moment it's just you just got to take it in and um yeah the uh hundred if not thousands of hours of slogging around the hills and frustration and getting you know busted or blown out by the wind or whatever happens or misses you know just you just you get it. It doesn't matter how much you practice. You get in front of a, a stag or any deer, and come to full draw. Um, you got to be able to hold it together, and it's yeah, it's just one of those things that's 
I don't know. It's, it's it is what it is. You just got to do it. Yeah, no, for sure. I highly recommend people that if they're looking for something fresh or just a new challenge, pick up a bow. It's yep. might not be a long term thing for you, but even just as a break, it's good. Even I find even just a, a target shooting yep, it's enough sure. just as a bit of a stress release. So yeah, yeah. No, it's um yeah, it's just something. It's something different. It doesn't matter how many big stags or how how long you've been hunting. If you've done it with a rifle for years, you go out with the bow and even just a doe or a spiky, anything, you'll be amazed the adrenaline rush you'll get out of shooting something like that with the bow and hunting it up close. Um, as I said, you could have shot 130 inches and you shoot a doe with a bow and I guarantee you'll be just as excited for your first time if you've never done it. Yeah, I, I'm a Samba nut, so I yep. still get an adrenaline rush just finding one in my binos, so yep. let alone killing one. But um, I'm sitting in your lounge room and I'm looking around at numerous stags. Have you got any more Samba stories for us? Um, oh, there's plenty of stories, but um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing that comes... Like I said, every every deer I look at that I've got here, it's, you know... I'd, I've got nowhere near the amount of heads that some old school Samba hunters have got or blokes that have been doing it for twice as long as me. What I've got here, it's it's not to show off. It's just I'm proud of them and it's what it is. It's not about, you know, well, look how many deer heads I've got. It's every one of them means something to me and, you know, every single one of them was a good trip or a good experience. So that's why they're on the wall. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I just really appreciate deer and love deer. So... A lot of people walk into my house and look in the room. It's the first room you see as you walk in the door and there's deer heads hanging up and they think, why do you hate deer? So, why do you want to kill everything? But it's, yeah, I think anyone that's listening that hunts will have that same experience um, with anyone that's anti-hunting or just doesn't purely understand it. But, um, yeah. Yeah, well, it's not much different having a photo, a wedding photo. So why, <laughs> why do you have your wedding photos on the wall? And it's because it... it refreshes those memories of, yeah. of that day or um i i see that the the amount of trophies are the same and even the euro mount so yeah while uh, while we're still talking samba i think if 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 we move on from samba from here and i didn't ask more questions about it people will probably yep send me some hate mail <laughs> so what's the best advice you could give uh, a new person wanting to hunt samba well, to be honest, there's just it doesn't matter what how many books you read, you know, all that stuff helps, but there's no there's just no substitute for time in the bush, and I reckon the you can go out with blokes that have been hunting before, and you know, for sure that's great. You can pick up information and, and just and tips and learn, but I I'm just that's just my opinion because that's how I learned. But like as in um, what I'm about to say, you know, going out and just go out on your own, on your own terms and just walk around and work some of it out for yourself. Like don't rely on being told or reading because, you know, that's the best way to learn off with anything in life, I reckon. Um, go out and make mistakes and, and bugger up stalks and, you know, that's, yeah, as I said, you can read any amount of books and magazines and read all this stuff but unless you're putting it into practice, you're not really learning at all. Until you go out and you actually make those mistakes that you've just read about, you're going to go, shit, there's, there's something to this. And, yeah, it's just time in the bush. Is, is, you can't beat that. Um, that's my biggest uh, – it doesn't sound very helpful, but that's my biggest tip, I reckon. Yeah, so I guess, <coughs> once again, social media probably plays 
yeah. that the wrong way because people only show their successes. Very yeah, that's few people exactly. show their their unsuccessful moments or yep. or even talk about the failed stalks. So yeah, and that's one thing that makes me so angry. Well, not angry, but frustrated is when someone like you might shoot three stags in one year, like three good stags or whatever, or whatever you hunt, and someone goes, "Oh, yes, your tin ass, your stag magnet." And you just think you almost you, you t- you're burning inside because you go those three stags yeah that's three more than what you shot if they didn't shoot anything but the same thing again however many hundreds or thousands of hours for that year you spend in the bush and how many times you go and don't see jack shit that people don't hear about um, they just see the success side they don't see what goes on behind it and you're no different to anyone else it doesn't matter how good of a hunter you are you're going to have hunts where you go out and you don't see deer so for newcomers that are going out and hunting and aren't seeing deer don't think that you've done anything wrong or what you know you're a shit hunter it's nothing about that um everyone has those days but you, you can, there's definitely tips and tricks that will increase your chances of coming across critters but as i said just get out there and just buddy just do it and you know get in the hills and walk and learn and just take sit back a bit and take in what's going on and you know, just little things, not even deer, just the other animals that are around you as well. Take notice of what they're doing and what they're eating and where they're living. And at the end of the day, they're just, they're another animal and they're just trying to stay alive. They're not, you know, they're not out there purposely eluding hunters. They're just, they're trying to live and keep themselves, you know, above ground. So, yeah. Yeah, they have evolved to have been chased by an apex (laughs) predator. So I don't think we quite cut it when we're compared to tigers in their homeland, but... yep. Yeah, they're certainly switched on, but they're but, not. But they're as not. you said before, there's sure that the, there's more and more deer, and there's no shortage of deer, but they're not getting easier to hunt. Sure, there's they're covering a bigger area, and the numbers are higher, but especially big stags as well. Like if anything, I reckon they're getting harder to find. Not so much high country, but uh, fringe country and private property, because it, same as, as what we said today, if you you've got a new hunter that walks into a spot, and there's an old stag going backwards, there's a malform or there's a really nice young one. Again, same thing again. People aren't going to shoot that old mature stag that's going backwards or they're not going to shoot the handlebar. They're going to shoot that nice 24-inch one or 22-inch one, whatever it is. Um, and that's happening week in, especially around here where you're close to Melbourne, where you're getting a lot of day hunters. Everything, the lot of deer that are getting seen are getting shot and it needs to happen as well to keep the numbers down. But um, yeah, people just got to bear in mind at the end of the day, um, you know, if you're shooting all these young stags, they're never going to be big stags. And um, that's where a lot of places get into trouble with bad genetics because, as every, like, you know, and that's a big thing. And, you know, a lot of experienced hunters will tell you that too, that a lot of the, sh- the shittier heads that people aren't, don't, aren't wanting to shoot are getting left and they're just breeding and breeding and all these nice up-and-comers are getting smoked. And at the end of the day, you're just left with a pile of rubbish and it's just... Yeah, it doesn't. It sounds silly because there's that many deer, but it definitely makes a big impact and ma- a big difference on the quality of heads too. I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So it almost needs to be some sort of game management or um, herd management structure put in, but that's difficult to do when it's public on public land. Public and, land, and, yeah. You're never going to be able to. Dogs coming up, so certainly there's value in in encouraging people to shoot more hind so that the population is yep. reduced and the dota stag ratio is improved and and then that'll improve the nutrition across the herd so that the yep. feed is more balanced so and there's a lot of arguments there for that 
Yeah, and that's and my opinion too as well. That's why the high country can be so good because hound hunters are in there, and there's the whole argument between stalkers and hound hunters, and I love it all. But um, hound, if it wasn't for the hound hunters, just put that out there, we'd be there'd be a bit of drama going on because there's a lot of hound crews in there that are in there doing their doing their bit, and they're shooting big numbers of deer. And if they weren't doing it, the government would be doing it by now, or mm. poisoning, or some other stupid idea that they can't get their head around. Um, but the deer numbers are kept in in check, I reckon, in the high country a bit. Uh, well, you know, they're still they're still up there. But when numbers, when huge numbers of does are getting shot out of the river country, um, and that sort of stuff, that's why I reckon we're seeing the better genetics as well, and and just good stags in the high country that get a chance to grow heads as well. Um, and yeah, they're just spreading their genetics a bit better as well. Like, sounds like a bit of a ramble, but it's a bit of a theory of mine as well. Um, but yeah. Yeah, there's enough. There's enough case studies to suggest that if you reduce the total population, then yep. the antler quality will improve. <coughs> there's a lot of different theories about why. Um, totally agree with the hound hunting things. They they shoot deer indiscriminately. They're not targeting yep. a stag. Right. They're not yeah. targeting a large stag. They, if it's a young animal, it, it, they will shoot it because the dogs are chasing it. It's important to shoot what the dogs are chasing. So. If you looked at their harvest numbers, do they get more stags? I don't know. Maybe yep. they might because, or it might be the opposite. You might find that there's more more does taken because the stags are a bit smarter. I know. Yeah, well, talk. I well, don't want to cut you off, but talking to some of the blokes I know that are, you know, mad, they live for hound hunting, and they reckon, you know, you talk to them, and years ago they would go through a year, and you know, they'd shoot. This is going back a while. They'd, if they shot a hundred for a year, they'd shoot, you know, a lot of good stags. Whereas nowadays. They're talking sometimes there might be 20 does between each stag that's getting shot. So, you know, 20 does getting shot to every stag, the numbers are definitely, you know, a bit out of balance there. So they're keeping the, the population in check, you know, just the ratio in check as well. Um, but it's, yeah, it's funny how I just don't get how it works, the stag and doe ratio in general. Um, no matter where you go, it always seems like you're seeing more hinds than, do than uh, stags. Yeah. So that that would come back to the fact that people or hunters will see antlers and shoot. Yeah. So, um, just a a bit back onto that that taking th uh, twenty odd does yeah. in between stags. I I think I spoke about it on a previous podcast, but I don't listen to my own podcast because I don't like the sound of my own voice. So if I have mentioned it, I, I apologise. But in my experience, we we had in three consecutive weeks back when I was hound hunting with with one of the prominent crews three consecutive weeks we found a big big stag mark that we were chasing we knew him we'd seen him but across the period of three weeks this stag we'd put the dogs on him they'd start the dogs would be on him but this stag would just be getting up high running loops through where through he knew hinds. concentrations of hinds were so he would be running them through so Oh, Sam Padoe might be just lying down getting some sun and then all of a sudden the stag runs past before she realises what's he doing. She hears the dogs coming up. Yep. Oh, 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 oh. And then all of a sudden they jump her up. She's the freshest scent. Boom, off they go. And yep. some dogs will stay on the stag, but he'll just keep running through those does. And three weeks we did it. We shot 28 does out of this, this area. And then by the time that had happened, he ended up, just pretty much given up and just was Out walking bail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and he just conceded defeat and went from 
running through all of these areas trying to throw the dogs off to just walk and bailed and ready to fight the dogs. So, yep. but we finally got him. But it took took a lot. And yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of deer, but it's a pretty big area. And I guarantee you that fourth week, if we went back there, we didn't because we got what we were after. That was yep. our target animal. We moved on. But if we had gone back that fourth week, there would have been deer back in oh, there. Oh, guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, lost the train of thought on where we were going beyond that then. But <laughs> uh, apologies for that. So, um, It happens. Yeah. Let's move on a bit from the sand, but then we can come back onto it if the rabbit warrants yep. take us down there. So <laughs> take us through your New Zealand experience from last year. So if anyone was on social media that followed Jesse, you'll know that he got caught up in some of the rule changes around licensing in New Zealand and um, importation of rifles. So, Yep. So, yeah, we were... Um, it was we were pretty stiff on that really so i've been over there quite a f i've been i've done sort of uh seven or eight trips over there now um anyway this particular hunt we were we were penciled in we we're going to do a diy um dockland tar hunt which is public land new zealand um we thought we would get well ahead of it and book all we'll do all our paperwork because usually i'm pretty slack and leave it to the last minute and the missus normally ends up doing it for me but anyway, this trip, we all did it well in advance because we'd had some close calls before with just, just stupid stuff. Anyway, won't get into that. But uh, yeah, so paperwork's all going through. Everything's going to plan. We had the chopper booked. Flights, got to Melbourne Airport. Flights all good. Melbourne um, border security were all sweet. There can normally be a real bit of a pain. They're pretty, um, yeah, <laughs> what's the word? Uh, intolerant when it comes to people getting getting rifles on planes but um anyway we got through them everything was all sweet before we know it we're sitting there having a coffee getting on the plane we're thinking yep this is perfect weather's mint everything's going to plan had all our paperwork in check get to the airport pick up our luggage go in um go over to see the police who escort us to our rifles um yeah happy as larry we're all chirping and yeah, throw the paperwork down on the bench. And the the officer opens them up. And goes, yep, sweet. You've got your import, export, blah blah blah. Um, he goes, right. So where's your uh, New Zealand uh, firearms license, which is like a temporary firearms license while you're visiting New Zealand? I said, yeah, mate. We've done it online two weeks ago. And he goes, oh, yep. So uh, you didn't do it thirty days in advance. And I said, no. Nah. I said, I've never done that. I said, every time we come here, we fill it out, pay the twenty five dollar fee grab our guns and off we go, we're in the hills. He goes, nah, rules changed. You, you boys aren't getting your rifles and he just literally snatched them out of our hands and um, threw them in a safe and we sort of didn't know whether to cry or spew and thinking, what the hell is going on here? Anyway, um, looking into it, I said, I said, what's the go, mate? You know, like we've I've come over here plenty of times, never had a drama um, and now all of a sudden you're, you're taking our guns off us. Um, what's the go? He goes, yeah, well, you've got to uh, lodge this 30 days in advance. I said, when did this change? And he goes, um, three weeks ago. I said, well, it didn't because <laughs> we've, we've, we've done it all. Like we've lodged it two weeks ago and the rules have changed three weeks ago. So how do you do it 30 days in advance? And he just sort of looked at us a bit stunned and he goes, not my problem. Anyway, I've got to go. So he just sort of left us in the lurch. I said, well, are we going to get our guns or not? And he goes, here's a number. Today's Sunday. They're closed. Call them tomorrow. Deal with it. Have fun. And we're sort of thinking, yeah, right, mate. Thanks for that. You've just sort of absolutely destroyed our uh, our trip so far. Anyway, left us in the lurch. Um, 
And yeah, so we sort of hung in limbo for a couple of days, ringing this registry who they couldn't give us an answer. They just said, look, we might be able to approve it early. We might not. Uh, anyway, we sort of hung around in Queenstown for three days, just killing time, went and done a little bit of fishing and stuff, only to have them ring up and say, yeah, no, sorry, no chance. You've got to wait another 17 days or something ridiculous to get it. And uh, yeah, it was all looking pretty grim, but we managed to make the best of a bad situation and through persistence and a few really good contacts and some awesome mates that helped us out, we were able to um to get onto a local fellow over there who sorted us out, and yeah we we managed to get into the hills and and get it done and yeah we ended up coming away with a few nice bull tar and uh, yeah like I said started off as an absolute nightmare and something I never want to go through again but it turned it in it turned into a dream hunt we all shot a nice bull each and yeah it sort of turned into a fairy tale ending and it sort of made a good story out of it I guess <laughs> in a way. But yeah. um, it's something just to be very wary of. If you are going over there, just be right onto your paperwork and just make sure you read the fine print on some of that stuff. And just little things like having the original documents um, when you get over there, you know, like you've, you've when you fill the paperwork out before you go, you've got to obviously fax it off and it's got to get approved, rah, rah, rah. So you've got to have the original copies. You've got to have the fax, the, the photocopied copies. And yeah, it, it is a bit of a a bit of a muck around but once you do it a few times or you know even just once it's enough to learn what you've got to do and there's plenty of information about it on the net so if you are going over there don't think it's all you know doom and gloom it is it is quite easily uh quite easy to get over there with a rifle but just be prepared to do the paperwork and just do it well in advance <coughs> it's a bit of a, a shame that 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 had occurred because typically they New Zealand was one of the easier countries to go into and it was quite often harder to get back into Australia with your gear. So yeah, and what rubbed salt into the wound was after we finished the hunt, we got back to the airport and you know the coppers they weren't even sure if they were going to let us fly home with our rifles. So they they talk there was talk of letting waiting for the permit to clear um, and then they'll ship the rifles back to us and we'd have to go back to the airport and like they were just trying to make our life hard. Um, but yeah, the real kick in the teeth was we get to the airport and there was a proper um, Kiwi copper there. The other bloke was a bit of a pommy bloke, and uh, this Kiwi bloke goes, "Oh, you boys been hunting?" He's seen the backpacks and stuff. I said, "Yeah, mate. Yep, had a good trip." Told him about what happened with the rifles, and he goes, "You're kidding me. He goes, Why didn't they let you take them?" Oh, explained to him what happened. And he turns around and goes, "Mate, he goes, if I'd have been on duty that day, he goes, you would have been walking out of here with your rifles." Oh, <laughs> and I just yeah. thought, so all this, all this trouble was just because of that one cop. I just wanted to ruin someone's day because he was at work when we weren't. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyway, it is what it is, and it's happened now, and you live and learn. Yeah. So you've been to New Zealand a few times. Yep. So I've, I've been over there. I love it over there. I'd quite happily move there if it wasn't for for work and having a home here and stuff. But. Um, yeah, I've been over there and done done the trout the trout fishing scene with um with Anto as I said from from the uh, Hunters Club TV show, um, and that was just bloody unbelievable. And we've just actually entered the the Whoppity ballot for um next year's uh, uh raw in there. So yeah, wait and see because that would be a dream to go in there and hunt proper Whoppity. And if you don't shoot a Whop, you've got a bloody good chance of shooting a a really good red or a hybrid or you know, and just the adventure itself would be incredible. But um, yeah, I've done the done the tar, done the chamois, done the reds, and then the uh, the trout fishing. But yeah, I'll definitely be back over there in in March, April next year. That's that is hundred percent sure. Yeah. Um, so what what about the Australian species? I see you've got a chittle. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, you got your local fallow deer. You've got the samba. Have you have you chased any of the other species? Yep. So I've um I've bow shot a couple. I've bow shot a, a nice little. He's no monster, but he was it was a ripper hunt. Just a a twenty four inch rooster stag. Um, I haven't really hunted the hog deer as much, and I will do it one day. But they're not a critter that really grabs my attention. Um, I'll do it, you know, just because, you know, just to say you've done it sort of thing and get it off the bucket list. Um, but for me, it's all just, I really do love my Samba. Um, yeah, Red Deer are really good fun as well. Um, you know, I know a lot of people refer to Fallow and Red Deer as, as a paddock deer, but to shoot a good one anywhere free range in Australia, um, yeah, you're doing bloody well. So hats off to people that, that are out there doing it. Um, yeah, and hopefully we've actually got another trip planned for December, heading up with a mate from Perth up to Charters to try and try and um, yeah try and get a bit bit better of a chittle stag. One I've got's a nice one, but he's no he's no world beater, but um, just a little bit of an upgrade wouldn't wouldn't hurt. So go up there and then another adventure again as a, and that's all a part of it as well. Just yeah, getting the deer is awesome, but it's all the stuff, the prep work that goes into it all beforehand, the lead up, the build up, the excitement, and then yeah, whatever whatever happens after that is just you know the trip. <laughs> it's yeah. the bonus. But um, no, I love it all. It's just yeah, as I said, just live it and breathe it and froth hunting. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing is is your passion for fishing. So yep, you've so, talked about the trout fishing. Yep. Um, obviously you've got a lot of trout streams around here. How are they all going, these local streams? Because they copped it a bit after the, the yeah. few repeated fires we had, didn't they? Yeah, and just and just the flogging they get as well from, you know, it's just getting more, like hunting, it's more and more popular. Um, I love trout fishing and my cod fish. I really love my cod fishing, freshwater cod, obviously, for people that don't know. We've got Lake Eildon here, which is, it's marked to be one of the best tra uh, cod fisheries in Australia at the moment. Um which the Victorian fisheries have done a bloody awesome job with that. They've stocked it really hard and, you know, they police it well. And uh, and the fishermen have done awesome as well, which I'm surprised about because there's a lot of idiots out there that are out to just, you know, they don't really give a stuff about much. But the cod thing's a bit different. It seems to be a bit of a culture where people are really happy to let them go. And, um, you know, it is it is awesome being able to go up there and catch these huge big fish that are, you know, got proper age on them. Um, but, yeah, back to the trout. I yeah really love my fly fishing uh, or just spin fishing in rivers and streams. But yeah, summertime when the, when it's a bit hot for the old deer hunting, I love uh, yeah harassing the old trout in the rivers. It's just I don't know good knock off to be able to knock off work and just go straight up the river on a nice evening if there's a good hatch. Um, walk up a quiet river with no one around you on a weeknight and catch fish. It's just bloody awesome. Yeah. So have you done the New South Wales fisheries like yeah. Jindabyne yep. or? Yeah, we normally do an annual trip to either Gin, well, mainly Lake Eucumbine or yep. um, Tantangra, stuff like that. Uh, I do a lot of nighttime sort of fly fishing around the banks or just bait fishing during the days or a bit of trawling and everything like that. It's pretty hard to compete with their fishing up there. Like They've got some really, really good trout fishing up there, but um, they've just had a bit of a tough year. I think Lake Eucumbine's only at, it's pretty low at like 20% um, and pretty muddy banks and not real pleasant to fish in at the moment, but... Yeah, fingers crossed it'll come up. Hopefully the bigger fish survive that because that's certainly what knocked the big fish yep. in Eildon down. So I I remember as a kid going up Big River Arm in a canoe with my, my old man and we would regularly see giant trout. And when I say yep. giant trout, Proper. we're talking 20-plus yep. pound trout. Yep. Um, 
then we went through that extended period of drought where the lake got to some ridiculously low number, like yeah. 7% or something like that. And yeah. uh, the, the, the water temperature was just too warm and a lot of those bigger trout just died off. That Yeah. I don't think they exist anymore. There's some good fish in there. Yeah, there's still good trout in there. And I think as the you know as good as the, the cod are they are smashing a lot of the other species but then you got the carp as well which you know when mm. you were younger they wouldn't have been non-existent at yeah. all in the waterways here um but so ilden's things. unique in that the cod season doesn't apply to it because they've proven through dna testing and other studies that they're not actually spawning in there and that the whole population is based on yeah on stocked fish from um the snobs creek hatchery yeah but yet, there's Which, regularly big cod, like a metre plus, being caught yeah. out of Ilden nowadays. Yeah, uh, last year, between me and my brothers and a couple of close local mates who we have a fair old crack at it, we would have caught probably sort of, uh, I, I don't have an exact number, but say probably 10 or 11, well over a metre last year. Um, but the whole thing about the whole um, cod you know, not spawning in the lake. I don't know what to believe about that. Like, if they've proved it, that's fair enough. But before that lake was dammed and man-made, those cod were naturally spawning in the Goulburn River. So, I don't know. Yeah, I've, I've got to say, like I said, sort of my theory on it. But they've got to be... I can't see why they wouldn't be spawning in there. It doesn't make sense if they can spawn in any other freshwater catchment. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether it's temperature related or... So the Goulburn, do you think that the go the cod in Goulburn was spawning up that high or... Because well, they certainly don't seem to get past Seymour if you're yeah. fishing for them in the Goulburn now. Seymour's yeah. about as close to Eildon as you're going to catch a cod. Yeah, we're well, just speaking to like proper old-timers, you know, um, like I'm talking old, old blokes that, you know, and their fathers as well that fished in like the Dalatite River, the Goulburn River... Um, all those major catch, all those major rivers, they were catching cod, you know, whatever. I'm not going to put a number out there. Mm. Whatever, a hundred years ago, say they were catching those cod there. So I don't know. Like if the fisheries have proved it, that's that must be a valid thing. But I just I believe they did, and that's why. Yeah, they yeah, I've the heard season, it. I've definitely heard. That's yeah. why there's no longer a season where yeah. the rest of the yeah the cod rivers fishing. the rivers are closed. Any river running into the catchment is closed for fishing, which is fair enough because they. They say they don't spawn the the. I think they spawn, but the they they prove. I think I read in the paper that the young hatch, but they don't survive or something yeah. because okay. there's no certain whatever it is in the water that they need to eat as yeah. a young fingling. They it's not there, but that makes sense. Any, I'm not a fish scientist, but yeah, no, me either, so. <laughs> that's everyone's got their theories. I I'm passionate about my cod fishing as well. So yep. when I'm not deer hunting, it is chasing cod and yellow belly, primarily Lake Marwala up on the Murray. <laughs> I, I fish Ilden a lot. Yeah. Best fish I got out of Ilden's eight fifty on the trawl. Which yep, that's a good fish. It's not a bad fish and the Ilden fish are pretty chunky, so yep. I don't know what it would have weighed. So not much into that, but I'm very much catch and release with those yeah. fish. So No, they are they really are a proper, like, beautiful fish, just and doesn't matter how many of them you catch, every time you catch one you always you sort of amaze I don't, yeah especially in Ilden I don't know something about it we do a lot in summertime along those rock walls just throwing spinner baits and um or a hard body lure and you know there's it can be a long time between as you know a long time between drinks even, and with trawling um you might spend hour you know four or five sessions out there and do hundreds of casts every sessions before you even get a hit let alone a hookup um so when you do get one it, it is special yeah yeah 
So, like, I, I haven't got into the media club yet. That's something I still want to do. So, uh, I'll see how we go this summer. I'll certainly stick at it and got close. So, just yeah, not quite I'm sure there. you'll break it. <laughs> just, yeah, certainly just stick at it and see how we go. Yeah. Um, it's one of those, if you do it long enough, you'll, uh, you'll crack it eventually. So have you given your fly fisherman for trout? Have you given fly fishing for cod a go yet? No, I haven't. That's a bit of a buzz thing in the cod fishing scene. Yeah. No, I've seen, um, I've seen plenty of, I've seen there's a fella I follow on Instagram and he's a real hard out fly fisherman and he puts in a lot of hours and catches some real, real proper monster cod on fly and I'll take my hat off to him, but yeah, I, I've tried catching them on um, even surface poppers and I just haven't had any luck yet on a surface. I've had hits, but I just cannot get a hook up on a surface yeah. on a surface lure, which is, that'll be this year's uh, this year's test. Try and body break that, which would be good. Yeah. But um, yeah, wait and see what happens. So what, what else is on the radar in the next little bit hunting? So it's still pack country hunting till... Yep. So another early December, is it? Or? Yep. Bloody oath. Yep. Um, I'll pro- I'll try and squeeze in another three or four trips, I reckon, and um, try try and get up there before it gets too hot and water gets scarce and the snakes get a bit too friendly. Um, but as for next year, um, I've really got my sights set on. I really uh, childhood dreams always go over and, and bow hunt an elk in the US. So I'm really going to start sussing out that um, maybe a yeah elk and a muley hunt or something like that. Just like uh, seeing you and Craig just come back from, and uh, just looking at that as well, look like a body. Yeah, just something I've always wanted to do. So it's just uh, you know, you could be de- my motto is you could be dead tomorrow. So you just don't know what's around the corner. So if you want to do something, just body, just go and do it. And yeah, that's the only way to be. I reckon. Well, Craig's the man to talk to about that. So yep, start, I'll be having a yarn to him. Start pestering him and get onto him, and he, he's got his tag system going there too. So he's already started putting in some states for me and him to go next year. Yep. Um, we changed what our plans were initially going to be to to an elk hunt after doing the mule deer thing. Him pretty much eating his tag because he didn't get in <laughs> on it. So, uh, and seeing those elk, yeah, I've certainly got the bug for it and it's a yeah. pretty cool place to go hunting just, over there. So. Well, that's the thing too, just the countryside. Like I'd love to go Colorado or, yeah, anywhere of that, Montana, any of those areas, just, uh, just yeah. You've only yeah. got to watch the videos and the footage. Like I've always wanted to do it, but yeah, when you say other people doing it and you're watching the footage, it, it's not about so much the kill. It's just the the adventure of it and going yeah. and just witnessing it firsthand would just be mind blowing. And to actually go over there and and smack one. If you if I went over there and shot an elk with a bow, I'd be bloody, I'd be on cloud nine for <laughs> twelve months, I reckon. Yeah, so that's certainly well and truly achievable. We'll just put you in contact with Craig and he can get yep. that the wheels in motion for that. So yeah. So that's a bucket list item. Yeah, for Anything sure. Anything else yep. that you're just desperate that in your lifetime you need to do? Um, nah, to be honest, like, I'd yeah, I'll be samba, samba a samba man forever. <laughs> like, and I and not you know not being a wanker or anything like that. But I've spoken to people that have hunted all around the world and they've shot that many deer, but they they always keep coming back to the same thing. You know, if you can if you can go out and successfully kill a samba stag and find samba deer then you'll be out then really you can hunt anything in the world there's i've talked you know and that's just their opinion but i've heard it from three or four people now that have hunted around the world for a long time and they just said they keep saying the same thing it's still hard the hardest challenge yet is still shooting a big mature samba stag in the high country and 
And I, yeah, not that I've been around the world and hunted everything, but I would bloody, I'd believe it. I reckon. Yeah, no, certainly. <laughs> you can see it's that. in its own, it's in its own league. Absolutely, I'm, I'm surprised there's not more interest from international people wanting to hunt samba, but well, a bit of an unknown. We were only talking about that before. How many you know high profile bow hunters are there, or not bow hunt, any hunter for that fact that are in all these magazines and constantly you know you, you see them, you see their face on everything. Um, and they live in Victoria and they're around the world killing all these animals, but half of them haven't even shot a samba stag yet and they've got them on their doorstep and you just sort of think, how do you, isn't that eating you away, not wanting to get out there and do it? Like, as I said, everyone's different, but I just, I can't understand that. Like, you've got one of the best game animals in the world at your back door and there's people travelling, you know, to bloody Kazakhstan to shoot a, to shoot a ram in the mountains and <laughs> these sort of things and I just sort of think, oh, everyone's different and that's, that's awesome. Like, I'd, I'm not, you know picking out anyone in particular or anything like that but I just I don't understand it but um yeah I think I think once you get over hunt elk which I haven't done in the rut yet so yeah. once you get there and you've got one of the uh, a thousand pound animal yeah its guts out at you from 20 yards yeah. I think that <laughs> might change your perspective on some of those but yeah yeah absolutely I, I totally agree I think samba deer is the most highly populated deer species we've got in Australia yeah it's it's in a state where for fifty percent of our land yeah, is public, public that much access. Yeah, yep. you just buy your 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 license and off you go. So yep. yeah, it surprises me, but yet we talk on an international scale and and it's water buffalo. People only want to talk about water buffalo. Yep. They're an animal that have got a pretty big price tag, but yet the government puts choppers up and just culls them out of the yeah. sky just to reduce numbers. So yeah. Used to be able to say the same thing, like wouldn't occur for Samba, but that's not the case now. So no, that's we do right. have governments trying to aerial cull them, which frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah, they're they're trying. Yeah, <laughs> trying. Yeah. No, yeah. that's and that's another that's a different topic again that you could rant about all night, but Yeah. Yeah. They should be opening up the parks to either let hound hunters in there or some sort of ballot system with hound crews or just open up some more or just reset the boundary marks a little bit anyway and just open up some more ground for hunters because it's the only efficient way and it's free it doesn't cost the government anything and if they were smart they could turn around and and charge more and people will pay it and they could be making a dollar out of it if they wanted to and it's yeah yeah it frustrates me (laughs) yeah no like I, i was pretty vocal on my social media platforms around the government doing sanctioned culls yep. in areas that legal hunters, law-abiding hunters are allowed are in, but there's a hunting exclusion timeline. Yeah. But yet they were in there culling before that. Why yeah. they just didn't say, hey, guys, we're going to open the gates up yep. a month earlier for you because we're going to be doing some culls anyway. Yeah. Nah, they go in culling animals that some guys set their whole year up around waiting for those gates to open and hunt that yeah. country yeah. as soon as the gates have been hunting, thinking that they're unmolested animals that have just had the whole winter yeah. without human interaction. And then all of a sudden we've got government colours going in with spotlights shooting them off roads and that. And that yeah. is just, it frustrates me. And yeah. Then they don't even get me started on the culls and the prom. So we've yeah. got a hog deer population that's the, the largest huntable population of hog deer in the world. They're difficult to get onto in public land because the land that they let us on is rubbish and yeah. thick and overhunted, but yet they want to reduce numbers in the prom and yeah. do... So we'll just go in there and blast cut, the hell out of yeah. them and not let... Yeah. But they could have battled it or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's generated what I mean. revenue or income to support... 
they're managing their park. So I don't know. I, yeah, sometimes I question where all of this information's coming from. But yeah, you could go on about it all night. Yeah, that's right. That's a different, whole different ballpark. That is. Yeah. But so, um, where can people find you on social media? If they want to get on and have a look at some of these deer and some of your stories and yeah, just um, like I said, I don't I don't post a lot of stuff, just a bit here and there. And as I said, I'm not on there to boast or show off. I just I generally love I love looking at other hunters' stuff, and there's nothing more like nothing that you know gets you keener than looking at at you know a post pops up and you see someone's out hunting or they've shot a good stag and you just think how bloody good is that? So well, I, I appreciate when I see other people's stuff. So you think well, if I can put up and, and contribute a bit too, and other people can see it, well. You know, you might be doing the same, but um, yeah, if you just type in um, just either Jesse Polkinghorn or Jesse Polky on Instagram or on Facebook, I'm just on both of those. Um, mainly Instagram, don't really use Facebook too much, other than for my um, for my business page. But um, but yeah, jump on there and shoot us a message and say good day or do whatever you like. And yeah, I get a lot of people, like not a lot, but I get quite a few people messaging me asking me about bow, my bow or what gun I'm using and that sort of stuff. And yeah, I'm, I'll always respond. I'm happy to talk to people about hunting. So that's no dramas. Yeah, I've got no doubt you're going to get some inquiries as to this Christensen's arms now. So yeah, yep. <laughs> probably just the last thing from me on that is is you mentioned before we were recording around the researching you did and how yep. if you over-research, you'll just find yeah. ne- negative comments. Spot on, yep. Yeah, if you look into anything too much, people will never sit there and tell you how good something is unless they're selling it. Um, when people buy, it, when someone buys something, you, they generally only pipe up and will say anything when they've got a complaint or something's wrong. Um, and yeah, that's exactly what I did. I looked into it, and you start reading too deep, and you get deeper and deeper into that hole. Um, yeah, so don't believe too much what you read on the internet. Uh, my personal experience of it is it's a body and I'm not saying I don't have any kicks sidekicks coming from Christensen I just went and I purchased it um, just because I like the look of it and it suited the style of hunting I'm going to be doing so yeah um, gets the thumbs up from me and it's yeah been a good gun so far so um, yeah get into it yeah awesome anything else you want to sign off with um, no, nah, that's about it really. Just thanks for coming up. It's been bloody good to have a chat and good to go out for a walk and yeah, bloody awesome to see you smack that dog with a bow. It's uh, probably going to be absolutely stoked because as I said, she's had a few sheep getting taken and um, yeah, the dogs are a bit of an issue there and they're coming more and more popular. Like in the last three years, I've noticed a big, big increase in dogs. So um, I've whacked a few on that place and yeah, to see you shoot one and, and I got it on film too, which I've put up on Instagram so people can have a look at that if they want. It's pretty cool footage with your loom knock punching through through a wild dog. <laughs> yeah, well, you you were going to take your own bow up. We are planning on you were going to yep. go take your bow. I was just going to follow behind and film. Yep. As yep. it turned out, the wind killed our stork yeah. and and the Ozcut hurricane <laughs> got stuck in the tugs. <laughs> destroyed the last couple of your shafts yeah. because you, you haven't got a new supply come in yet. But yeah. they're, and they're stuck in your broadhead. Yeah, your stuck target, in my target. Yep. Target now, so... All of a sudden, your bow was out, so yep. it was mine. Um, no, that's as I said, I'm more than happy just to walk along. I just wanted to check the trail cams and yeah, to see you, buddy. Smack that. Oh, oh, yeah, I just enjoy seeing someone else shoot as much as I do myself, so it's just cool. Yeah, it was my first dog, so yeah, I'm awesome. up with that. Thanks for that. Uh, no it's worries. been an absolute pre- pleasure, Jesse, and I'm sure we'll have you back on at another stage anyway. So, yeah, no a dramas. Lot. Thanks right. a lot, man. Thanks for having me, and I'll catch you. Cheers. <laughs> see you, mate. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, 
please don't hesitate to contact us on huntycampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.